And today, I want to just explore with you how it is that we can experience the favor of God, the favor of God. And so to do so, we're going to consider this favor through three different lenses, if you will. And so let's start by considering first Mary's favor. Let me just paint a little scene for you. A young woman is sitting in her house. She's in an obscure town called Nazareth. Her family is very poor. It's a forgotten place whose citizens are folks that couldn't find an opportunity to leave. Uh, in those days, people said, can anything good even come out of Nazareth? And of course, we know that that young woman's name is Mary. And then one day, God sent an angel, the angel Gabriel, to her. And the angel said, greetings, Mary, O favored one. O favored one, the Lord is with you. And the word says in response to this that Mary was greatly troubled. She wondered what kind of greeting this might be. And so the angel spoke to her a second time. This time he said, Don't, do not be afraid, Mary. Don't be afraid, for you have found favor with God. There's that word again, a second time. Favored one. You have found favor with God. I spent some time just looking up that word favor in the dictionary. There's quite a few uh, different definitions, a long list of definitions and descriptions. But one that really stood out to me that I think fits so well here is favor is kindness beyond what is due or usual. I really like that. Favor is kindness beyond what is due or usual. I think that fits well with this text. The angel is saying in a way, God is going to show you, Mary, kindness beyond what is due to you. Kindness beyond what you usually experience. Then the angel goes on to explain that this unusual kindness that God will show to Mary, he says, you will be with child and give birth to a son. You'll call him Jesus. And he will be great and be called the son of the most high. And when the angel says to Mary, you are highly favored, he's saying, you are uniquely privileged. She would carry the life of God within her. Highly favored because she was the one by whom the son of God was born into this world. So we say, well, that's great great for Mary. We kind of idealize Mary, but what about us? What does this mean for us? What in the world does this have to do with my life today? Well, let's just think about that for just a moment. Let's ponder this. What is a Christian? What is a Christian? People may give all kinds of different answers for that question. Somebody might say, a Christian is a person who believes in Jesus. Someone else might say, oh, well, a, a Christian is someone who follows the teaching and example of Jesus. They are obedient. Well, both of those statements are true, but neither of them cuts to the, the core of what it means to be a Christian. To, me, to be a Christian means that the life of Jesus is in us. The Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. That theme comes up over and over again throughout the scriptures. The Apostle Paul in Colossians says, it is Christ who is in you, 
that is your hope of glory, Christ in you. On another occasion, Paul writes, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And on another occasion, writing to the Christians in, in Galatia, he speaks to them as if they are his own kids, his own children. He says, my dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth, until Christ is formed in you. So what does that mean for us? It means the Christ who was formed in Mary by the flesh is formed in his people, us, by the Spirit. And a Christian is a person with the life of Jesus in them. So I want you to just think about that for a moment. Jesus spoke about this himself. On one occasion, you might remember he used uh, the example. He said, I am the vine and you are the branches. We can see the significance of that picture. The life of the vine is in the branches. It, what, it's what makes the, the branches a part of the vine, the life that flows out and in. And so those who are Christians are, like Mary, highly favored. We carry this marvelous privilege, the life of God in us. It's pretty sobering to think about, isn't it? Highly favored ones. Just like Gabriel speaking to Mary, if he were here today, he could use that same greeting to us. Greetings, favored ones. The favor of Mary. Well, let's look at it from another angle now as we consider the favor of Jesus, Jesus' favor. One more scene to think about. Back in Nazareth, 30 years have passed since the birth of Jesus. He's grown into full manhood. He's working as a carpenter. Somewhere around the age of 30, he begins the work for which he truly came into the world. Luke tells us, about a Sabbath day, right there in Nazareth, in that little podunk village, where the people of the town had gathered in the synagogue as usual, and Jesus was there that day, the hometown boy, and he's handed the scroll. It's his turn to read. He's the scripture reader for the day. And the words come from the prophet Isaiah, and opening the scroll... Jesus chooses this place to read on that particular Sabbath. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. And then Jesus goes on to explain what the good news for the poor is. And he does that by reading more from that scroll of Isaiah. He goes on to read, He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set as at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's what? Favor. There's that word again. The year of the Lord's favor. This is what Jesus has come to do as he announces himself on the scene to his hometown synagogue. The year of the Lord's favor, I've come to proclaim it. Now everybody in that synagogue would have known exactly what 
Jesus meant by the year of the Lord's favor when he read that. In the Old Testament, God commanded that every 50 years, the trumpet should sound to introduce a special year. It was called the year of Jubilee. And during that year, three wonderful things would happen. First of all, all debts would be completely canceled. That'd be pretty cool, wouldn't it? All your debts are just canceled. Oh, that's pretty awesome. The second thing, all slaves would be set free. Now, if you were a slave, that would be even more awesome than having your debts forgiven. For the slaves to be set free. And then third, all land that had been mortgaged to someone else in order to pay a debt would come back to the family to which it originally belonged. And so you can see why the year of the Lord's favor was such a marvelous gift, particularly for the poor. Now, do you know how often that this year of Jubilee happened in Israel in the Old Testament? Well, it happened every 50 years, but guess what? They never obeyed it. They never observed it. Not one time. God commanded it, but it wasn't obeyed a single time because the people with the power were the people with the money. They were the ones that had everything to lose. They were the ones to whom were owed. And so they always found a way to postpone by saying probably something like, oh, it's just not the right time for it. We'll put it off for another year, another couple of years. And so the debts remained, they piled up, the slaves kept working, and the inheritance given to the many ended up in the hands of the few because of the disobedience of God's people. And so in effect, that day in Nazareth, Jesus is saying as he reads and makes that statement and applies it to himself, he's saying, what you will not do for each other, God will do for you. God is ready. He's ready to forgive all your debts to him. God is ready to set you free from the dark powers of sin and self that bind you in slavery. God is ready to restore to you the inheritance of everlasting life that was lost by your first father, Adam. And so in essence, Jesus is saying, I'm here to blow the trumpet for the year of Jubilee to come in. Today, Jesus says, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Wow, that's powerful. When a debt is forgiven, what happens? The loss has to go somewhere, doesn't it? Every time a debt is written off, a loss is incurred. We're, we're living in the middle of that in our own culture we're hearing about this all the time, every day in the news. Debt, getting rid of debt, writing off student loan debt, the national debt growing larger and larger and larger. It's the focus of attention. We hear about nations that can't pay their own debts or the market's going crazy because unpaid debt, it has to go somewhere. But as we think about our spiritual well-being, where does the loss go? when God forgives our debt? Well, of course, he absorbs it in himself, doesn't he? Jesus bore that debt 
on the cross. He paid the price. He absorbed the loss of our debt to God, and he did it in himself. That's what it took to bring about the year of the Lord's favor. And in all the world, we will never, ever see that kind of kindness again. Because it could only happen once. The year of the Lord's favor. Mary's favor. The favor of Jesus. And then I want to look at it from one more angle. And that is receiving favor. Receiving favor. How should we respond to this idea of the Lord's favor? Here we are in the Christmas season. Christmas is about the favor of God in the birth of Jesus. And we celebrate that. And we really can't do better than the words of Mary when that angel Gabriel spoke to her about the favor of God. And Mary answered, let it be to me according to your word. What a simple statement. She speaks that back to Gabriel. And really what it means is, may everything you've just said about the favor of God, may it be a reality in my life. You see, that's the essence of faith and obedience. It's embracing the very favor of God in Jesus Christ. Sometimes even when we don't fully understand it. Mary's mind was blown. She was confused. What does all this mean? And yet... She's humble enough to say, bring it on. May it be to me according to your word. You know, the artists of the Middle Ages and the medieval times, they were fond of portraying Mary in the, uh, the quality of Mary by depicting the entry of the Holy Spirit into her life. And the way that they often did that in their artwork was by the Holy Spirit impregnating Mary through her ear. Got an example of that on the screen for you. And so they understood the organ of perception is the organ of conception. Her faith in her receptivity to the word of God, to hearing the word of God, her openness to hear what God would say to her. And so that's how they illustrated that. And I thought, how, how true for us as well. It must be for us as well. For those of us who would hear and receive the word of God, it must be something that happens to us. And all we can do is keep quiet and receive it. This whole idea of the virgin birth, it says that Jesus came from above. Not from below, not in a common way. He comes and he came because of God's will, not ours. It's, not, it, it, it's something that you can only open yourself up to. You know, when, when we want to get something done, we say something along the lines of, well, don't just stand there, do something, get busy, get out there and make it happen. But you know what God says? When God wants to get something done in us, sometimes he says, don't do anything. Just stand there. Stand there and listen. Pay attention. You see, we can't make God happen in our lives. 
We don't bring new life. We don't get to manipulate or control God's work in our life. We are the recipients. We receive it. One time Jesus said that the Spirit of God is like the wind that blows where it wants, when it wants. It can't be controlled. It can't be predicted. And so the best that we can do is to kind of keep our sails open and spread out to catch the wind of the Spirit when it blows, to receive that favor. Here we are again in the Christmas season, and we, we talk a lot about the Spirit of Christmas. You see that all around, right? On cards and songs and warm, fuzzy stories on TV of generosity and sacrifice. It's the Spirit of Christmas. Those are all great, but I want us for a moment to consider the difference between the Spirit of Christmas and the Spirit of Christ. The Spirit of Christmas is annual. It comes around and it goes away. But the Spirit of Christ, that's eternal. The Spirit of, of Christmas is sentimental, full of warm, fuzzy feelings. But the Spirit of Christ is supernatural. It's beyond above and beyond us completely. The, the, the spirit of, of Christmas is a human product in many ways, but the spirit of Christ, that's a divine product, isn't it? Only God could do that. The angel told Mary she was actually going to experience the birth of Christ through the Holy Spirit in her life. The angel said to her that the power of the Almighty through the Holy Spirit was going to rest upon her. The angel spoke to her and said, the one, the one who would be born in her and of her would be the one whose kingdom would never end. That's a lot of favor wrapped up in one package. And I hope those that those statements from that angel. I hope they resonate with you. They should resonate with you and with me. The Bible teaches us that in a way not dissimilar to what happened to Mary, it is possible for Christ to be born in our lives via the Holy Spirit. Listen to how Paul puts it here in Romans chapter 8 and verse 11. He says, if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead, is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. The spirit, the spirit who came into Mary, the spirit who raised Christ from the dead is the same spirit that can actually come into our lives. Now here in Romans 8, Paul's, Paul's referring to what happens, much, much of what he's talking about is what happens after we die, but it also clearly relates to what happens before we die. Just think about this for a minute. Is it possible, is it possible that the spirit of him who raised up Christ from the dead can actually come into people's lives. Do we believe that? Do we live that way? If that is true, then the spirit of him who raised up Christ from the dead 
comes into our lives to make Christ, if, if you like to think about it this way, to make Christ born within us. In other words, the essence of Christianity is this one remarkable truth. Christ came from heaven and died for us on the cross and rose again so that in the person of the Holy Spirit, he might live in us, with us, indwell us. And friends, that is how we receive the favor. Favored ones. Favored ones. And if we believe that, then the possibilities are boundless. We're not talking about an annual event that comes around. We're talking about perpetual indwelling. We're not talking about something that's basically sentimental. We're talking about now. And it's something that's supernatural. God in Christ through the Holy Spirit born into men's and women's lives. Let me just close with this little story. It's a story of a simple, illiterate man who was converted through the work of the Salvation Army many years ago. He went regularly to the Salvation Army chapel. One day he came home rather upset. His wife said, what's the matter? And he said to her, he said, I've noticed that all the people in the Salvation Army, they all wear red sweaters. And I don't have a red sweater. So she said to him, I'll knit you one. I'll knit you a red sweater. And so she knitted him a beautiful red sweater. Well, the next Sunday, after he went to chapel and came back home, he still wasn't happy. And his wife said, what is wrong this time? And he said to her, I just noticed that all of their red sweaters have yellow writing on them. Well, both the man and the woman, they were illiterate. But she said, don't, don't worry, honey. I will embroider some writing on your sweater for you. Now, she had no idea what the yellow writing on the red sweater of a Salvation Army person said. By the way, do any of you know? They have a yellow circle in it, and it says, blood and fire. Blood and fire. That's their motto. Next time you see one of those folks ringing the bell there, go ahead and open up their coat and take a look. See if it's in there. Blood and fire. That's the motto of the Salvation Army. Well, the, the man's wife had no idea what the letter said. She couldn't read anyway, and so she copied a sign from a store window across the street from their home. And she embroidered those words carefully onto the red sweater of her husband. The next Sunday, when he came back, she said, Did they like your sweater? And he was so excited. They loved my sweater. Some of them even said they liked my sweater better than their sweater. He was ecstatic. What neither of them knew was that the sign in the store window across the street that she had carefully copied from said, this business under new management. This business under new management. That's what she embroidered on his sweater. And friends... That is what it means to receive God's favor. That's what it means to be born again. That's what it means for the Holy Spirit to come upon you. This business under new management. 
The Spirit enables us to gladly come into the kingdom and make ourselves available for service. Greetings, highly favored ones. And like Mary, can we answer, may it be to me according to your word. Let's pray together.